Hello and welcome to Catholic Link. This is the Catholic podcast for busy Catholics. And my name is Father Rob Adams. I am the new uh, director and host of the podcast. I'm sorry if you don't know me quite yet, but I'm a priest of the Diocese of Lexington, and I'm really excited to be on here today with Father Joseph Rampino, a priest of the Diocese of Arlington. Hi, Father Joe. Hello. How you doing? Great. Well, today I brought Father Rampino on to talk about something that he's really good at, and that is the history of the priesthood. He's a real expert in history, been a great friend of mine through seminary, so I'm really excited to hear what Father Rampino has to say about priesthood and where it comes from, and hopefully we can figure out what that means for you and where it is going. Yeah, so thanks for having me on, Father Rob. I really appreciate it. This is a huge, uh, huge, huge subject to try and say, like, how do we understand what priesthood is uh, from the days of the apostles all the way to the present moment? It's obviously something that matters a whole lot to me as a priest who loves priesthood. Uh, but one of the things that uh, that I began to ask about in seminary and then later was this question of, has priesthood always looked the way it does now? Most of us as Catholics, we grew up in parishes. We know diocesan priesthood is basically the same thing as parish priesthood. You have a pastor. There might be a parochial vicar or maybe two. Uh, there are some people who kind of work for the bishop in ways that we don't understand and never <laughs> see. They do exist, but this is basically what we know. And if you want to become a priest, you go to the vocation director and something happens there. And if you pass whatever this mystical thing is, you enter seminary and then show up on the other side. And, you know, this is the, the vision that we grew up with, uh, at least that I grew up with in Catholic parishes. And I think most of us did. So the question was, has priesthood always been that way as priesthood always been a thing that is lived in a parish with all of the normal things we consider daily mass sunday masses regular confessions visiting the the sick bringing bringing the sacraments to those who are homebound the anointing all these sorts of things uh and if the priesthood has not always looked that way what has remained the same what is actually essential about diocesan priesthood or Christian priesthood. So it's a fascinating subject. Uh, is there anything that you want to start with? Do we want to just like start at the beginning? And yeah, see, I mean, like... the beginning is a great place, but I think I think even before we get started, it is really important to note that if you've ever been in a, in a discussion about apologetics, for example, and about, you know, the, the validity of the priesthood coming from Jesus in the New Testament, this sure. kind of argument really matters because a lot of people are going to say when they look back at the early church, they don't see priesthood the way we have it in our parishes, or we don't see some of the sacraments celebrated right. the way that we do them. Right. Right. And that can be a problem for folks because I think it's important for us as Catholics to say that we don't have to see a one-for-one -one match all the way throughout the history of the church for that thing to be valid. Like the priesthood does have essential elements that go back to Christ himself and to the apostles. All of the sacraments go back to the institution by Jesus Christ. And we can be confident in that. And if we're confident enough in that, we know that the essentials have not changed. Then without fear, we can kind of say, yeah, of course it looked different. Yeah, of course there are things that have changed over time. That doesn't wreck my faith. That doesn't wreck my belief in the goodness of the seven sacraments of the priesthood itself, or even of the current structures that we have, just because parishes didn't always exist, doesn't mean that they're bad things, or, you know, somehow we have to bring about the grand revolution and tear down everything we once knew and 
you know, all that. Exactly. Sort of don't, <laughs> we yeah, don't I think have to become iconoclasts just because things were different in the past. And but I it think, is good to know where they come from. And I think that's a really good point because, you know, there is a temptation whenever you talk about history and you read, if you ever read a book, so I'm a liturgist. So whenever you read about liturgy, you run into this temptation to say, well, that's not how they did it in the early church. And right. the problem with that line of reasoning is it's called antiquarianism from like the idea of the antique, that if it's right. older, it's better. If it's older, it doesn't necessarily mean it's better, but you do need to recognize that it happened that way to see how we got to the way it is today. So right. with that in mind, how did it all start? What's the priesthood did, look like in the early church? How did it all start? So um, the earliest days of Christian priesthood are a little hazy. So the first two centuries, it's hard to tell uh, exactly what is going on all the time. We do know that uh, that the earliest uh, Christians were led by both people they called episkopoi, which we translate as bishops, and presbyteroi, which means elders. The word priest, so hieros in Greek or sacerdos in Latin, the word priest isn't being used a whole lot in those first couple centuries, which could throw you off a little bit because you're not sure what you're looking at. What we call priests today are the presbyters, the presbyteroi, the elders. Those are the people we're, we're kind of zooming in on. And there is debate as to whether uh, the bishops and the priests were actually one same order all the way at the beginning. Different saints fall on different sides. Um, especially during the Middle Ages, there's a ton of debate as to whether the bishops and the priests were one thing at the beginning whether bishops were essentially uh, priests who had been given extra authority so as to keep the church safe from division and from heresy and all that kind of thing. Uh, but we're looking at the elders, the presbyters. And what we know about them is that uh, their biggest responsibility was the teaching office. Mm. When you look at old ordination rites, uh, when you look at uh, all the old kind of material that talks about priesthood, their job was the preaching of the word. If you look at somebody uh, later, like St. Augustine, he'll say that this is what, this is the essence of pastoral care. To take care of the people means to preach to the people. That's what they mean when they say doing like the actual pastoral work is preaching the gospel in the liturgy in the context of the church's Sunday worship. Mm. Um, so that's the primary work of the presbyters at that time is the study of the scripture, prayer with the scripture, preaching of the word and uh, instruction of the faithful, whether that's preparation for baptism or other things. They shared some of that with the deacons, but most of the teaching office is uh, on the presbyters. We know that at the time uh, they were allowed to ordain, which is to choose and consecrate married men. There's debate and there was debate in the ancient world, especially between the Greek speaking world and the Latin speaking world as to whether uh, presbyters had to separate from their spouses um, uh, after they were, uh, after they were ordained, there's evidence on both sides and practices probably differed depending on where you are. We know in North Africa, they were particularly intense about priests separating from their spouses after ordination so they could be alone for God. Mm -hmm. There's questions as to whether priests lived together, uh, with one another at that time. It seems like they probably did. Uh, there are, there are some pieces of evidence that suggest to us that all the priests would have lived together in clergy houses with the bishop. But this is all prior to the about 300 in those early days. There's not a whole lot we can tell other than that the presbyters were the elders of each city, the men chosen to carry out that ministry of preaching, the ministry of the word. 
Right. So a couple of things stick out to me as a liturgist real quick while you're saying that. A lot of people don't know this, but actually, do you know the name for the sanctuary in a Catholic church? What the what the official name for the sanctuary is? It's not sanctuarium in Latin, like you might Right, the presbyterion. It's the presbyterium, which means the place right. where the priests sit. Uh, and right. that doesn't just mean the priest celebrant. So we know that in, in the early church, the bishop sat on his big throne, and there's always these little right. benches around him. And those right. benches were where his priests, the presbyters, sat. And speaking about preaching the word, one thing I thought was really interesting about some some of these really old versions of the mass that we have mm -hmm. is sometimes there were many priests who preached at the same mass. The bishop That's would appoint incredible. several preachers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if a guy like goes 15 minutes now, people people are you know immediately uncomfortable and start you know saying, all right, Father, it's time to wrap it up. Can you imagine if you had a list of five preachers you had to get through and one guy decides to take right. half an hour. Oh my God. And then the bishop <laughs> comes at the end of it. To preach like, himself. Yeah. To offer yeah, his commentary on everything that's happened. I mean, gosh, I, if I preach more than seven minutes, <laughs> I get antsy. I, I don't know how you could do that. That that would be I, quite a bit. I'd be a little wild. It is, it is interesting though, because you do have this sense. And we mentioned that we're not using that word priest yet in the history of the church. Um, the, the word starts, uh, we start to use that word priest or sacerdos or hieros um, to describe just the bishop, right? And that's very consistent with what we know of the, of the old, old, old liturgy, that it's the bishop who's the primary celebrant. And in fact, uh, I think you already know, but our listeners might not know that this is actually one of the reasons that a particle is broken from the main host during the mass. It's a remnant of a practice uh, called the fermentum where a piece of the Bishop's Eucharist uh, would be broken off and sent to any other liturgies that happen to be outside the cathedral so that they could be immersed in the, in the chalice and consecrate the chalice for the priest, just so people knew this really was a valid Eucharist because the Bishop's Eucharist was there. Right. And, and it's weird because nowadays, <laughs> nowadays, whenever we read commentary on things, you know, it's, it's at the, the fractioning right at the Lamb of God where the priest puts a piece of the host into the precious blood. And people talk about it as the co-mingling and you're like, okay. And there's symbols there, but that sure. the real symbol from a long, long time ago was actually that it was the literal same Eucharist as the Bishop. Right. Right. Because again, the church wasn't uh, particularly, I don't want to say the church wasn't sure because I think there's evidence to say that she was very much sure that presbyters were really priests, that they could celebrate the Eucharist. Um, but the church wasn't exactly comfortable with that yet. And the people certainly were not comfortable yet with presbyters celebrating the Eucharist. Um, really the only one that, that had the constant power uh, and the, the trust of the people to celebrate the Eucharist was, was still the bishop, even at that, that early date. But things begin to change around 300 is when we start to get actually a lot more information. Of course, when Christianity is made legal, uh, this changes things a ton. All of a sudden, uh, the emperor rather likes Christianity. So Christianity becomes much more popular. It becomes uh, much easier to publicly uh, ex to exchange your, your ideas and writings publicly to actually put stuff out there. So we have much more information from the 300s and 400s about what happens to priesthood. And it gives us a way to kind of fill in the gaps from before. So we talked a, a little bit about like, how did priests live? Uh, what do we do with the fact that priests were perhaps married? Uh, we know a lot of them were. What happened after ordination? Did they remain with their wives? Did they have to separate from their wives? Did they continue having families? What do they do? 
And what we can say is like starting from 300 on, we have pretty good evidence of priests and not just priests, not just presbyters, right? We've been using these words pretty loosely, not just presbyters, but all of the clerics, all of the clergy. So that means bishop, presbyters, deacons, subdeacons, acolytes at this point, kind of readers, uh, lectures, lectures for certain, uh, cantors at this point are considered clergy in some towns, uh, doorkeepers, all these people were living together in clergy houses. So places like Milan or Vercelli, which is near Milan in Northern Italy, places like Rome, uh, places like Tours up in France or uh, Hippo Regis in uh, North Africa. We know that all these places have begun to develop clergy houses or have continued an ancient practice of clergy houses, but one way or another, they have them. Uh, so the priests are all living together in common. All the clerics, in fact, are living together in common in uh, the house of the church is the term that's used, in Domo Ecclesiae, which is really just the bishop's house next to the cathedral. So wherever you go, that's where the priests are living, all of them together. There might be churches in other places, particularly in Rome, where they had 28 titoli or like parish regions that would all house lots and lots of clergy. Um but for the most part, you would all live in the cathedral and go out perhaps to minister to these other places, but the clergy would live together, uh, which answers some of our questions. It also answers some of the celibacy questions. At this point, we start having uh, legislation uh, by the church and local councils that talks about how priests are to live separate from their wives after ordination, that if they have children after ordination, they're to be uh, expelled from the priesthood, which seems like a pretty right. extreme measure. Um, but it shows you kind of what was in the, the minds of, of, of uh, those governing the church at the time, that the important thing was priests were uh, taken out and all clerics were taken out from the world and their lot was now the Lord, that their job was really this act of worship, that their contact with the outside world, their pastoral ministry was accomplished still primarily through preaching. And not through like pastoral counseling the way we would think of it today. It was really preaching was pastoral care more than anything else. And there are debates. There are things like St. Jerome will say that um, the clergy should know the inner workings of every Christian house in their territory. Uh, yeah, good luck with that. What's that? Good luck with that. Yeah, which is funny because Jerome's not known for being particularly sociable. But then on the other side, St. Ambrose, who is known for being like generally pleasant and pretty sociable, uh, told his clerics he forbade them to eat dinner in the houses of lay people. He says, you are not to go out in the evenings to eat away from our common table. If the lay people need you, they know where to find you, which is in my house. Dang. You know? Oh my goodness. Well, well, we got to wrap up here in just a second, but I do think there's one, there's one really important point that I think you've made and that's, it's, it, it might've been, it, it might be tough to figure out if you haven't thought through it, but what I think an important takeaway is, um, priesthood looked a lot different on the ground in terms of like, we didn't have guys out by themselves in the middle of nowhere. So some of, no. some people are used to having their priest and only their priest, kind of like my yeah. situation where I'm the only guy for 50 miles, right? Um, which right. is definitely not the way the early church functioned. Um, mm -hmm. and, and for good reason, because a lot, a lot of things make more sense with, with this older model. So right. And we'll we'll unpack this a little bit more. Yeah, this is only part one. one. This is only part one. <laughs> yeah, we got we got a lot more to go here. Part one is part one. That's totally fine. But thanks, Father Rampino, for being on today. Uh, you all can find all our cool Catholic Link stuff over at catholiclink.org. 
we're migrating the podcast. You know, we used to be Catholic Bites, but we changed the name. We're, we're the future now. So go over <laughs> and find all our stuff at catholiclink.org. This has been the Catholic Link Podcast, the podcast for busy Catholics. I'm Father Rob Adams. Thanks so much for listening and God bless you. Thank you.